0: Starting with a cultural reference, which will date you. You'll either, either, there's probably about three people that are roughly the same age. So if you're older than me or younger than me, this won't be of any interest to you. But in 1994, the R&B group Aswad, um, no doubt known to you all, um, released Shine. Do you remember the song? Yeah, great. And unbeknownst to them, they inadvertently summarized the thrust of Philippians two. Um, here is the chorus. Come on and shine, shine, shine like a star, shining so bright like the star that you are. Oh shine, shine, shine in future, spreading your light wherever you are. That's Philippians two. Um, so I have started my sermon with a reference to Aswad, which isn't something I thought I'd ever do. Um, and I may not do it again. But here is the serious point. That is about shining, and you may have picked up the reference to shining as we had that read just now. The, the question I want to kind of get you thinking about, and this is relevant to you if you're a Christian and convinced and here, you know, regularly, and I think it's relevant to you if you're not yet a Christian, because I think this is one of the most... This can be, bizarrely and ironically and sadly, one of the great barriers to people coming to Christian faith, and that is, why is it that Christians often don't shine? Why is it that so often Christians are known not for their moral beauty and admirable qualities, but sadly for their hypocrisy? You know, if we could nail that, then we'd be doing all right. Um, this sermon obviously isn't going to answer that question. It's a deep, complex question with all sorts of answers. But Philippians 2 does, I think, begin to provide some answers to that question. And for those of us who are Christians, there is a challenge. But I hope there will be comfort along the way as well. Um, so I think that question has to do with the tension and the relationship between salvation And obedience. It's something which Christians have wrestled with ever since the church was born. Um, And to help us think about it, let me talk to you briefly about farming. Not an area of expertise of mine. However, I think it might be fair to say that you could summarise farming as working out how to make a plot of land as productive as possible. So an arable farmer will take a field and work it such that it produces a crop hopefully a bountiful crop. Now, at this point, my knowledge of farming does rest squarely on the excellent series Clarkson's Farm. Um, and I'm told there might be a third series coming. And if nothing else, if you've seen that series, the, 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 kind of, the program illustrates that actually you can be as wealthy as you like, but farming is blimmin' hard work. It is hard work to work the land and make it productive such that you can make money from it. And farmers will speak often, though, of the privilege of working the land. You know, they'll boast about, or not boast, but cry about getting up at five to milk the cows every day or whatever it is. They work the land. Now, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the beginning of our reading says, Therefore, my beloved, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So just as a farmer works his field, we are to work our salvation. We've been, if you like, given this field as a gift. But it comes to the responsibility it needs working at. I don't know if you've considered that idea of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or as he says at the beginning, continuing to obey these are words which aren't particularly trendy at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Now, we need to be careful. I want to say right at the, right, kind of upfront and as clearly as I possibly can, here is what a Christian is, in case you're kind of getting confused. This is, a Christian is this. To be a Christian is to put your full weight onto the fact that Jesus is Lord, that he's died for your bad stuff, past, present, and future that he defeated death by his resurrection, and that that means one day we too will rise again with him and enjoy new life with him in the new creation. Jesus, death for you means you no longer face God's judgment, which should be yours. Christians are therefore sinners who have been forgiven by grace. That's why we sang at the beginning of the service, amazing grace. My chains are gone. We speak of grace a lot. It's God's free gift in Jesus. The gift, the free gift of God in Jesus, it's beautiful, it's freeing, it's literally redemption, open to all. That is what it is to be a Christian. Paul, the author of this bit of the Bible, um, is often described as the apostle of grace because he talks about grace perhaps more than anyone else in the Bible and in one of his other letters his letter to the church in Ephesus in chapter 2 verses 8 to 10 he says for it is by grace that you have been saved not by works so that no one may boast you've been saved by grace so let's get that clear up front that is what it is to be a Christian and then maybe confusingly to us here he says in Philippians 2.12 Continue to obey and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does he mean? Are we saved by grace? Or do we have to work out our salvation? Is it down to us somehow? What's going on? Here is what I think he means. He means that we are to work at becoming by experience what we are by grace. Becoming by experience what we are by grace. So all of Christian living, in fact, is actually that truth. It's living out what we have been made already. You are children of God, so live like one. You have been made right with God by Jesus, so live right by God. You have the Holy Spirit in your very being given to you as a gift, so live according to the Holy Spirit. You've been saved by grace, so live lives worthy of that salvation. The eternal consequences of your sin have been dealt with, so deal with sin in your life now. Work out what it means to live as a saved person. Work out your salvation. In Paul's letter to Titus, he talks about the knowledge of the truth, salvation, which leads to godliness. It's the obedience that springs from faith in Jesus. Brothers, uh, Jesus' brother James, in his letter, talks about, and this is famous, and some people are like, what's that about? James, in his letter, says, faith without works is dead. It's useless. It's nothing. It's empty. What does he mean? I think what he means is that real living faith, real faith, will be accompanied by works. That is obedience to God. And verse 12, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a right obedience which springs from faith in Jesus. Can you see the tension? I want to be really clear. We're not saved by these good things we might do. But we must do them. And we will do them when our faith is genuine. Salvation and obedience Jesus doesn't save us so that we can kind of like be the best version of ourselves he doesn't save us in a kind of self-help way just to like a life improvement just to be a bit of a better person he doesn't even save us primarily so that we feel more at peace with ourselves or more at peace with the world around us he saves us principally to be like him to follow Jesus is to become more like him that's kind of what it means to follow Jesus And that's what Paul is getting at, as he says, keep going, continue, work out your salvation. So we're not saved by being good, but neither are we saved if good doesn't flow from our faith in Jesus. Can you see that? Salvation and obedience. That tension of the Christian life is summed up beautifully. So let me just continue with verse 12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he goes on, for or because it is God who works in you. To will and to act according to his good purpose or his good pleasure. All of our obedience flows from his work in us. So my feeble little act of obedience comes from his work in me already. It's all of God. Even the will to want to try and obey God comes from God himself. He works in me to will and to act according to his good purpose. Salvation and obedience. Next, what about obedience and action? So that's the theory, if you like. That's how it should work are faith issues in in obedience. But what does that look like in life? Obedience in practice. If you've ever applied for a job, or maybe advertised for one, there are two kind of documents often sent out to uh, prospective applicants. They would be the job description, or the kind of role description, and the person specification. Job description sometimes goes like this. Um, Spend all day looking out the window. Pilot. Uh, Silly joke. Make sure nothing ever happens, um, IT uh, security, <laughs> that kind of thing. I wonder though what you'd write if you had to write a person specification for Christians. What would you write in a person spec? The kind of, there's a person spec, the kind of person we want for this job. What's a person specification? I wonder what the average person on the street would say. That's an uncomfortable question to ask ourselves. What would they say? I'd be genuinely interested to hear. Well, what follows in this next bit of Paul's letter is, in a sense, a person spec for the role of follower of Jesus. Paul has said, Be like Jesus, who was the definition of humility. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling in obedience to Jesus. What will this look like on the ground in our lives? What do you think? What do you think he's going to say? Here is what Paul goes for a person spec for a follower of Jesus, and this slightly blows my mind. Verse 14. Do everything without grumbling. <sighs> right. Or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure. That's the kind of person we want. This is obedience in practice. What does it look like to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Well, it's not actually, in this instance at least, it's not a long list of do's and don'ts. It's much more a person spec. This is the kind of person. And actually when we get into it, it's like Paul has kind of lasered into our very hearts and like put his finger on the one thing that almost exposes everything. <laughs> Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Um... One of the greatest Bible teachers of of the 20th century, John Stott, said this about this verse, and it smacked me between the eyes. He said, This nowhere does the self centered heart of man more quickly take control than through the machinery of criticism and the promptings of self interest. Grumbling is that kind of attitude which puts ourselves in the middle, at the center. It's that kind of selfish complaining, it's unbalanced criticism of small things, critical spirit, it's impatience towards what isn't quite understood, it's, it's kind of a lacking uh, understanding of those who are less good at things than us, it's, uh, it's a grudging unwillingness to be helpful, do all things without grumbling, and arguing. So grumbling actually is the outward expression, and arguing apparently, according to the original language, is more the inward kind of attitude and mind, mindset. Grumbling and arguing, it puts us in the middle, rather than if you think back all the way to verse 3 of chapter 2, where Paul says, value others above yourselves. It's the opposite of that. Just take a moment then, to imagine what it would look like to, to, to be that kind of person. In the nitty gritty of your life. You know, not to moan about people who rub you up the wrong way, or to serve behind the scenes with no fanfare, to assume the best in everyone at church, maybe. And this one, to always speak well of those above you at work, perhaps. Always. Um, to be patient with those less good than you at some task, to seek any opportunity to serve others, however unseen think those are small little tastes of what it looks like to put that into practice, to follow Jesus and work out your salvation. Can I, I, I just, like, I think it's worth kind of just going, this is quite flabbergasting stuff, in that it's so basic, and yet it, it really works itself into the nitty-gritty of our lives. Um... Of course, this isn't everything the Bible says about what it means to follow Jesus. But it is pretty clear here that Paul says in, we followers of Jesus are to be characterized by not grumbling outwardly or arguing inwardly. It's not, you know, it's not kind of just at church. You know, it's at home. It's at work. It's at church. It's wherever. That's what Christ-like humility will look like in us. It's basic, but it kind of nails our hearts that is the person spec. do everything without grumbling and arguing it's obedience in practice finally let's look at the impact of that obedience and in a word the impact of that obedience will be shiny now this is where we go back to my introduction and aswad because I have always found it impossible to read verses 15 and 16 of this chapter without singing three possible songs in my head. One is Shine Like A Star Wherever You Are, Shining So Bright Like The Star That You Are, Aswad, 94. The other is Rihanna, Shine Bright Like A Diamond." that one, always comes into my head. And the other is from Moana, um, I'd rather be shiny, like a treasure, that, under the, that, that one. If you've got younger children, you'll know Moana, brilliant musical. and the. every time I think of those three songs and maybe now you too will Um, so it's about shyness Paul says work out your salvation obey, do everything without grumbling then you'll be living like the children of God you are and then you'll be different from the culture around you you'll shine you'll literally shine like luminaries in a world which is crooked and that's the word that we get, when he uses that word crooked, that's the word that we get our word scoliosis from, when you've got a, a spine that's out of shape. In a crooked world, you'll be upright. In a dark world, you'll be shining like a star. That's the impact of working out your salvation, of being like Jesus. And when we think about it, of course it is, because who's Jesus? Jesus is the light of the world. And when we're like him, we're mini lights. You know, we're the tea lights, and here's the big candle. Made that one up on the fly. Um, <laughs> won't revisit it. The world needs the light of Jesus. And when we live like him, we bring that light. As Paul puts it in that verse, 15 and 16, we, uh, we will shine like stars as we hold firmly, or, or you can translate it, as we hold forth, we hold out the word of life. Can you just follow the logic with Paul there? The world needs, the world and we know this, the world needs the thing which transforms us, which is the word of life. And they will see it when we live it. That is when we will shine. We're not gonna shine, we're not gonna win people to Jesus by being the same as the world around us, by trying to fit in. It's when we're like Jesus that we shine. When I was interviewed for the job that I'm doing now, I was asked, because my title is Senior Associate Minister for Growth, How would I seek growth in the church? And part of my answer was to use the same logic that Paul uses here, which is to say that people aren't going to come to faith in Jesus if we as Christians aren't living it. So, whatever else we're doing, however many courses we put on, however many events we hold, if we as Christians aren't shining, then it's probably not really worth it. We need to be shiny shiny in the Philippians two cents Um, we haven't got time this morning but if if we did we would go on to look at two examples of Christians who are shining that's Timothy and Epaphroditus that's the second section of our reading no time for that look at that in your home groups but that's what Paul goes on to next for us this morning as we come into land let me remind you of both the challenge and the comfort in these verses the challenge is this continue to obey Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If the example of Jesus is anything to go by, and by the way it is, this is not going to be easy. It is an act of the will, and it's painful. For Jesus, it was obedience to death, even death on a cross. And he is our model. And of course, he called his followers to take up their cross daily to follow him. It's an act of the will. It's not easy. Obedience, if you think about it by definition, is not simply doing what we feel. Christian life has never been about ease or comfort, but it's about radical, Jesus-centered and other-centered living. So take time today to pray into that for your own life. But here's the comfort. It is God who works in you according to his goodwill or pleasure. It's Jesus who has saved you. He has saved you. So two things, by the way. Um, I take it if you're here in church, you're either here because you trust in Jesus. He saved you. Or maybe because you're seeking Jesus. You're thinking maybe there is something about this. I'm not sure, but I'm going to pursue what this is about. If you've come to church for either of those two reasons, that is an indication that God has started that work in you. He will continue it. It is God who works in you. If you feel any stirring to obey, if you feel any conviction around attitudes or areas of your life, that is God already at work in you. That is the Holy Spirit working in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. In part, maybe that is why you're here. It's not ultimately down to you. He who started a good work in you will bring it to completion let's have a few moments of quiet so father we ask further for the work of your spirit in us to stir to comfort where needed Please enable us to be those who are obedient and who work out our salvation. Thank you for the grace we have in Jesus. Amen.